I challenge you to listen to this episode and come away not thinking that Andrew Smallwood is one of your favorite people that you've just discovered. He is the head of revenue for a company called Second Nature, and he's an extraordinary leader, an unbelievable communicator, and a really, really talented category designer. We talk about really cool stuff about how he has been a part of nonprofits and that's changed his life, how he has completely revolutionized experiential marketing within his industry and how they've built this unbelievable company that's become the category king in what's called the resident experience. So much to learn from. You're going to want to Google Andrew Smallwood and check out all the other episodes of podcasts that he's been on because he's incredible. I'm a little bit jealous of you right now that you get to enter the world of Andrew Smallwood. Enjoy. If you know how it is, then you know how it might be. But think what it would look like if you grow your own community. It ain't easy. That's why you're listening to hear experiences from others just like you and me. Welcome to the B2B Community Builder Podcast, a show that was started because if you can unlock the power of having a community around your business, then you will create a source of referrals, validation, marketing content, and product feedback that will be unbeatable. But who has time to think about building a community when you need to be making sure that your team has what it needs to succeed in serving clients and bringing in revenue. That is why we'll be talking to business leaders like you and I that have cracked the code on why the community play is so valuable, how to implement tactics that got them there while still serving short-term goals, and what they can teach you that they have mastered. This show is for you if you are a CEO, CMO, or simply a rainmaker that has realized that without a community, you are just a commodity, but haven't figured out how to add it to your infinite list of priorities. This show is for you if you are a community professional or trying to be a community professional that is trying to convince leadership about the need to invest in a community strategy. This show is not for you if you think transactions are more valuable than relationships. I am your host and chief executive connector, Pablo Gonzalez, co-founder of BeTheStage.Live, a marketing company that specializes in relationship-driven growth. I invented the relationship flywheel and hopefully... I'm your new best friend. So smash that subscribe button, leave a rating when you do, and get ready to plug into the power of community creation for business development. Let's go. Welcome to the B2B Community Builder Podcast. I am your host, Pablo Gonzalez and Chief Executive Connector. Today, we have somebody that has recently entered my ecosystem online through LinkedIn, and I've been growing in affection towards him. His name is Andrew Smallwood. He's the VP of Revenue at Second Nature, which by all accounts is the most beloved service provider in the single family rental property management industry. Everybody knows that. And he's also on the board. He's also the board chair of the Front Row Foundation. He's somebody that I found on LinkedIn through the category design kind of circles. He's on there with a team of people wearing all bright purple suits. And that immediately drew my eye. And the more that I dive into what Andrew is about, what his company is about, and the way that he operates as a human being, the more and more interested I am because it's clear that he's somebody that greatly values relationships over transactions, has a well-formulated leadership style and communication style. And as soon as I identify that in a 
fellow human being. I want to be his best friend. So that's why you're on the show, Andrew. Welcome to the show. Pablo, honored to be here. Excited for the conversation. I'm excited for it too, man. Like I said, I, you know, at first I was like, oh, purple suit guy. That's interesting. And then the more, the, the more, I, the more I tapped into it, it, into you speaking and, and, and getting on a call with you when I first met you, I was like, oh man, this was a totally different energy than I, than I expected from purple suit. Well, I guess we could just start with, with the foundation of this whole, this whole podcast and, and the experience of it, the, the, the community builder aspect of it. Can you kind of, are you a part of any professional communities? I see that you're on the board of front row foundation. You want to kind of tell me what that what that's about for you? Absolutely. Yeah, let's start with front row. So, and there's actually an interesting tie, I think, between front row and, you know, some of the philosophies that that happen at Second Nature and, and otherwise, or just things that are personally important to me. And there's a number of charities, Pablo, that uh, I'll support. You know, a friend puts out a Facebook fundraiser. I'm like, that's a cool cause. That's a cool person you know, here's 25 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, what have you. There's a few who I'll donate to on a recurring basis because I've really, I said, hey, I don't want to keep rediscovering my commitment to this cause and the change they're trying to make in the world. And I'm, I want to support it in that way. And there's a smaller number that I donate some time to, but Front Row Foundation is really my charity, the charity that I've chosen to really support. And the reason is because it's a charity that's actually done some category design, if you will, around the idea of moment making. And when I think about there's like make a wish, people are like, is that like make a wish? And, you know, is it a wish granting organization? Well, make a wish is a phenomenal charity. Again, it's one that I support. It's one that I believe in. But it is different in that a lot of people don't know the number one wish that make a wish grants is like laptops. They get thousands of requests for laptops. And listen, that's a need. <laughs> they meet that need. They're able to donate thousands of laptops that make someone's day. That's a great thing. People will request violins. That's their wish. People will request, I want to ride around in a cop car for the day, or I want to go X, Y, Z. And so it's, it's kind of cool because it's totally inclusive of really any wish, right? Like no wish is off limits. And that's a, a cool thing. And it's limited in the respect of we only serve people up to age 17 years, 364 days, right? And the day they hit 18, they've aged out. So they're specific in that way and they're broad in the other way. And a difference about front row that I like to explain is that there, there is no age, so it's broad in that respect. And it's very narrow in the the types of requests, you know, they would do in a very specific experience that's provided. And it's called, it's called a front row moment, right? And creating a front row moment is about getting people close to the things that truly make them come alive. The people, places, things that make them truly come alive. And I just believe at the end of our lives, Pablo, looking back, the way that we will measure our lives is and understand them is the meaningful and memorable moments, you know, that make them up. It's a kind of thing that for me, can't put a price on. And uh, I grew up in a family, uh, a medical family. My dad was a doctor, a physician. His dad was a vascular surgeon. His dad was a doctor and his dad was a pharmacist. My mom's stepdad was a ear, nose, throat. Anyway, without going through the whole family tree, you get the idea. And so, 
you know, things like medical research and stuff like that, that's important to me too. But a lot of times the medical community is working with a family and they just can't give them good news. They have to give them bad news. They don't have good answers uh, for people sometimes. And so it's a question of what does a community do for that family when the medical community can't respond to that problem? And there's still an opportunity to make a moment happen that's meaningful and memorable for that person to create a front row moment. And that's, you know, that's what's resonated for me over the years. That's what always, like, I never get tired of it. You know, 10 years later, seeing somebody go to a Washington Redskins football game and have the time of their lives, you know, they're high-fiving cheerleaders, players are signing cleats and handing it to them. I mean, just like unbelievably moments that they will just never forget that are worth celebrating. And when you hear the parents say things like, you know, I, I haven't seen them light up or be energized that way since their diagnosis or since their treatment. You know, when you see that, when you hear that, when you feel that, you're like, this is what it's all about. These are the moments that matter. These, these moments are special. And, you know, for me, that's, that's just what I, like when I measure my life, I think that's how it'll be measured is what are the moments I created for myself? What are the moments I created for others? Were they meaningful and memorable? And, and it's a real skill of moment making. And the Front Row Foundation has developed that skill better than any organization in the world. And it's, it's one I'll continue to support for as long as I'm here. Love it, man. Most of the stuff that I'm taking action on these days, the reason why I started with the charity question is because most of the stuff that I'm taking action on these days that really have changed the game for me are the soft skills that I learned by being part of charities, right? By starting young professional groups, your front row foundation feeling is the feeling that I get when I was working with Habitat and giving somebody the keys to a house, right? Like that is a front row moment through and through, right? And while I learned a lot in those moments, one of the big takeaways that I got was this idea that people involved in nonprofits were A, the most influential people in town, and B, they got their influence by giving and serving others. Does your involvement in the nonprofit world precede your professional success? Is there parallels between working in committees, right? Like to get to where you're at as board chair, you had to pay some dues as being on a, being on the board, being on a committee, right? Like working your way through that. Has that informed your professional career? Has your professional career informed it? How do you think about the tie between those two things? Yeah, good question. And Pablo, I would say, by the way, I believe this about you already, just in the couple conversations we've had and, and the digital interactions we had is that I believe you are a moment maker. Yeah, I believe you're somebody who makes moments happen for others, whether it's inviting them onto your show, whether it's the moments of insight that people have listening to your show. I've really enjoyed seeing the clips and things that you post on LinkedIn, inviting people into a community, inviting people to where they feel they belong, you know, finally is, is a really powerful moment, you know, that can happen. And the kind of things that happen from there after you connect them, they make lifelong friends, you know, they, they're developing their network, they're part of a network. Um, there's all kinds of important things happening there. And somebody made that moment happen for them. And I believe you're one of those people, I'm sure the people who are listening to your podcast, you know, that's also who they aspire to be. 
is making moments happen for people. And of course, there can be a business result related to that, but are connected to that or downstream of that. But you also just strike me as the enthusiastic and genuine kind of person who just enjoys making moments happen for other people. Now, to your I was question, just say, that's legitimately one of the best compliments you've ever given me and, and incredibly perceptive on how you describe that, right? Because I do, I do see my value to society as somebody that falls in love with everybody they meet and I'm able to communicate it really, really well. So I'm like this like hype man at scale. And if you really boil it down, it is making people feel special about what they're good at. That really like fills my bucket, man. So that's really, thank you, man. Thank you for saying that. You're very welcome. You asked a question, which was, if I'm, if I remember it right, you were saying, Hey, getting involved in charity and nonprofit was that, was there, how did that happen? Was there a, an influence on, you know, a professional network or other things like as a part of that or outside of that, or what motivated that? What, how I think I would answer that question and telling the story of how I got involved with front row is I, I was blessed with great parents who are involved in the nonprofit world that like, that's a world I grew up in. Right. And so I mentioned the medical community and my mom is really who I looked up to and learned about, you know, thinking of others and being other oriented and being of service to the community and being generous in such a way where, you know, it's not expecting anything in return. It's, it's, it's being generous for the sake of being generous, for being helpful and falling in love with that feeling of how it feels to be and help others and see others impact in a positive way. So, you know, that's where it goes back to and where it was motivated from. I got invited into the front row organization by the founder, John Vroman. And, and my good friend, John Burgoff, who shares our mutual friend, uh, Chris Lockhead. It was actually the two of them that really got me connected to the charity. And I started out as a fan of the charity. And then I went from fan to fundraiser. I was raising funds and volunteering and involving in my time. And eventually John Vroman said, hey, you know, we've got the, this board put together. And I was a little intimidated at first. I was excited about the idea. And I'll admit, I was a college student when he asked me. There was a part of like the status of being a part of a nonprofit board at 21 that I'm like, you know, well, that's kind of cool. And that would be a cool resume point as I'm building my resume and whatnot. But I even felt at that time, like a little bit of, hey, there's my reaction. And I'm like, but I don't feel totally comfortable acting on that alone. Or if that's, you know, is that really going to sustain my motivation for a long period of time if I decide to make this commitment? And what, what really got me in was, hey, this is a place I'm loving to contribute. There's a lot I can learn from this group of people. And I'm confident and committed that I'll find a way to contribute and add value, right? And so it was definitely a leap of faith, uh, you know, on his part to invite me in and, and, and on my part to commit to finding a way to do that at a young age and support it. But it's exactly as you said, once I was on the board, it took me a couple of months to really get my, my footing and find ways to really contribute. But from there, you know, they asked me to be the secretary of the board uh, and then ultimately the board chair for a period of time. I was actually, I moved out of the board into a role in the charity as a director of development and communications, fundraising and communications, because that was what was needed. And that was actually the best way I could contribute at that time to take forward some of the ideas we'd put in place when, when I was board chair. And then after that period, you know, they asked me to be the board chair again, and we had some new ideas and, and we're rocking and rolling. So it's been a great experience, a really gratifying experience. 
and, and a lot of fun. And I have met some incredible people through doing it, not just on the board, but just in, in the nonprofit community in general. It's been great. And it sounds like it's always, at least with Front Row, it's always been intertwined with your professional path, right? Like you're a, you're a young marketer. You're all of a sudden getting put on this board with Christopher Lockhead and the founder of this thing. And, you know, it, that, that to me is such a underrated backdoor, man. Like I just, I, I just find it to be a backdoor. If you can be a young person on the board of a charity, you will inevitably rub shoulders with people that are functioning at a level higher than you deemed possible. And through osmosis, you're going to learn some life lessons and you're going to get some connections and it's going to lead to some kind of opportunity down the line. And it's not immediate, but the value of the relationships you build when you're working to solve a problem are much higher than the value of relationships you build when you're working to like shoot 18 holes of golf. Mm. (laughs) Very true. Yeah. Very true. There's a meaningful shared experience built with those people that, that can be different than other ways of, of connecting with people just over a shared interest. That's a good point, Pablo. hundred percent, man. hundred percent, dude. So what are you, are you part of any other professional communities these days? Are you in, in any kind of like marketer groups or any other, any other community that you subscribe to or that uh, second nature has started? Have you guys started anything like that? Yes. So I'll start with, you know, first I'm a member of what was Revenue Collective and is now Pavilion. And so that that's a group for revenue executives across sales, marketing. You know, I think at, your company has to be at a certain level of revenue and there, there's some there's some qualifiers and things like that. But they've got a great Slack community. They've got some local organizations here in Nashville, Tennessee, where I'm involved. I've met some great folks through that. Frankly, member of a lot. You know, our company is a member of a trade association that we have a great relationship with the National Association of, of Residential Property Managers. There's thousands of companies and and thousands more than that members who we've, you know, really developed an affinity for and, and you know, tried to contribute to a lot. So that that's a community we participate in. Well, what um, creates that affinity? Just real quick, like if, you, if you've like, you know, I've, I came from the construction world. I was part of a couple of construction associations, never had an affinity, right? Like I was just like, nah, I'm into my nonprofits. Like what, what creates an affinity inside of like a professional trade organization? You know, I, I think specifically with this group for me, and I'll just speak for myself personally, I've always had a thing for small business entrepreneurs and I've always had a thing for, you know, People really trying to do something on their own, do something, you know, different, really trying to push the boundaries of excellence, you know, in an industry. And, and, and frankly, Pablo, you know, and we, we teach this of, you know, don't fall in love with your product. You know, you can fall in love with the problem that you solve, but I would go further and say like falling in love with a customer, you know, and, and really saying, I just want to deeply get to know these people. I want to deeply be of service to them. You know, falling in love with your customer, it's it's something that it's a choice. Like, yes, there was an attraction and there's things about property managers I could tell you that specifically interested me. But I think there's also just a commitment, you know, and that permeates the culture in our organization of sometimes you hear people like talk down about their customer when nobody's looking or they make jokes, you know, in a Slack channel or something like that. And and we really encourage an environment where it's, no, we're speaking 
positively about our customer, what we appreciate about our customer, what we're grateful for about our customer. And so, of course, we're going to want to serve the trade association, right, that they're they're a part of and connected to. And so we've got a great relationship, I think, with the trade association directly with our customers. And we show up with an attitude of service and care, you know, to that community. And it, it's de- it's developed a great relationship over the last few years. That makes a lot of sense, man. So then tell me about leveraging that. So you're in love with your client, ergo, you join, you tap into their community, right? What are the positive externalities that come out of you being a part of you falling in love with your client and spending time with your client within these kinds of like circles? So one thing I'll share that's, I think, important if, if I'm listening to this podcast and I'm thinking, how do I really contribute as a part of a community, new member or relatively new member, or even somebody who's been there a long time, but I'm deciding to make a bigger investment, you know, into this community. One thing we talk about in our organization is, hey, where everybody else goes, like, don't even try to compete for adding value there. And, you know, where everybody else goes small, go massive. I mean, go huge, not a little bit better, like massively categorically a different level of service. And so at the very beginning of the podcast, you were talking about these purple suits, right? And what we see with vendors in our industry, service providers showing up, a lot of them have polos, you know, with their logo on it, right? And so we said, well, how might we stand out? Okay. And it's a series. It's like blue. It's just blue everywhere, right? The whole trade show floor, everyone's got the same color. It's all blue. They've all got polos with their logo on it. And we said, well, what if we got custom suits, you know, with our logo kind of embroidered into it, a crazy, like on the inside, on the jacket, like this crazy teal blue color. I mean, it's a little wild. It's a little out there, you know, and not only that, we also got 25 of our VIP customers that are attending the event suits as well. Right. And I mean, we could have not even had a, whole, a trade show booth, Pablo, right? Could have just been purple suits walking around all week. It was all anyone could see. It was all they could talk about. And so like that was an area where we said, hey, we're going 10x. You know, a lot of people are saying, here's the fidget spinner for a dollar. You know, here's this, this, that. <laughs> here's the here's the pen with our logo on it. We're like, we're not doing any of that cheap shit, you know, and competing on a $2 fidget spinner versus a $1 fidget spinner. We're going to do... We're going to put $50, $60, $100 more in some cases into a customized like hotel room drop, right? With a handwritten note from the salesperson to each of those people, in addition to something personalized. And we had customers, Pablo, writing on social media, like paragraphs, and they were talking about how they were crying when they got this blanket you know, of photos of their family members, you know, a friend that had recently passed, things like that, this thoughtful handwritten note, everything else. And we just said, you know, rather than trying to do what everybody else does and stand behind a booth and say, here's a, here's a coffee mug, you know, if you book a demo or <laughs> here's a, here's an iPad, right? Drawing, if you book something, what, just like, nope. We're going to do something really different and, and we're going to go big with it. And we, we've stood out with those kind of efforts. We, I'll say one more thing about this because I think it could give some people some ideas, especially as events are coming back. 
we, you know, our original like beachhead product was filtered delivery service right? and delivering on time. Like that was our brand promise. We said, what if we picked people up from the airport and delivered them on time, like to the conference? And they didn't have to fool with the Uber and punching stuff in and getting their bags and everything else. And we had all these people in purple t-shirts swarming the airport, picking people up, holding up signs, right? Like with their name on it, making them feel amazing and, and how we feel about them, right? That they're true VIPs. And we get them into a black car and, and drive them all the way there. And we're having a great conversation, by the way, uh, before anybody else does, you know, <laughs> with that person on the way to the hotel, right? That, that was probably pretty smart. And, you know, that's one of the smarter things I think we've ever done and we continue to do it. So we look for opportunities like that. Like, hey, what's nobody else doing rather than just showing up and kind of just going with the flow? You know, how might we get creative? How might we get generous? What can we do to boldly express our values and express genuine and sincere and deep care for our customers so that they know how we feel about them? There's no mistaking how we feel about them. What do we have to do to make them really feel that? And how do we push ourselves to make that happen? And so all that to say, fast forward, we were we were given the national affiliate of the year award, which out of a couple hundred companies, right? It's given, it's given to one or two companies every year. So that was a huge, I think, recognition of our efforts there. And then the next year we were the first to our knowledge to win it two years in a row. And then last year we were the first, of course, to win it three times in a row. We'll see what happens this year, but you know, it's, it's, it doesn't, it's, it's amazing how low the bar can be and you know, what you can do to radically shift your reputation, even within just a few years, if you show up in ways that really stand out, that really get people's attention and that add real value and really communicate your sincere care, you know, for the people that are in the community you're choosing to serve. Yeah. So tying it back to the, I, first of all, I'm going to spend about five minutes breaking down everything you just said, because I think it's amazing. Tying it back to the original question of the positive externalities. I, I think what you've really identified is that if you are a part of a community, making a lightning strike move where you are going above and beyond in some other aspect that nobody else has done, completely differentiating yourself, be it visually, be it experientially, you know, be it tactically in any way. If you are surrounded by a bunch of people, once you do something like that within a community, you are quickly famous within the community, right? Like, and, and, and to me, that is something that very selfishly I've always known my whole life, right? Like I, 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 (laughs) when I first started speaking about networking, I would always kind of preface my, preface my speeches about like, anybody have an older sister? Does your older sister ever like just rail about the idea that people like you more than they should? Cause that's the story of my life. Right. And my older sister's right. Right. Like I, you know, like it's just always kind of like had this inherent philosophy that if you can have if you have an audience or, you know, if you have a group of people together of a, of a certain way, word of mouth travels really, really fast within that concentrated ecosystem, right? So this idea of being a part of a community of people that you want to serve or forming a community of people that you want to serve, you know, vice versa serves as this like magnifying force for whatever great move you make. And you guys clearly made an awesome move that I really want to like get into because one of the things and like you said, events are coming back right now. One of the things that I started tinkering with in 2019, and now I'm going all in on in 2021, 
is this idea that events, your event strategy should be, as you call it, a moment-making strategy, right? Like I've, I've never explained it that way, but I've always just explained it as you need to think about whatever you're doing as how can somebody be enabled to show off about being a part of it via social media, via WhatsApp, via Facebook, via Twitter, via LinkedIn. And what you what y'all did is number one, the VIP experience of getting picked up at the airport, right? Like that, just that, just that guttural feeling of somebody holding the sign, I'm sure is, I'm sure it's something people took selfies with, right? Like getting in the car, people are telling everybody in the conference about it. Then all of a sudden you guys are showing up with purple blazer, you know, purple suits, very, very obvious, very something that, you know, somebody comes up and shows up and takes a picture with like four people in purple suits is an experience, right? Like, and that's something that they're going to post on LinkedIn. And then you're very easily identifiable afterwards in this like word of mouth economy kind of thing. Was that, did you guys think about the shareability of it or were you just completely, completely involved in just the experience of it? Like what was the kind of, what were you guys thinking going in apart from the idea of really showing them that we care? Yeah. Great question. So, you know, the category that we lead and what we're known for Pablo, if you were to put it into like the two word, you know, it's a resident experience, right? And our flagship product is a resident benefits package, right? Which is the number one resident experience product in the industry. And so, you know, sometimes people think about, okay, well, can I do these crazy things just to get attention, right? And you can, but you will, you will miss something important if it's not authentic and if it's not strategic, right? Which is, it could just be disconnected to really who you are and what you do. And to, to answer the question directly, there was an unbelievable amount of social activity. I mean, we were doing things every single day that were making people pull out their phones <laughs> and say, I got to take a picture of that, what's going on over there, taking a selfie with this purple suit that I'm wearing here. Here's me getting picked up with my name on an air filter at the bottom of the escalator. You know, all this stuff that we did, it was just like, we're going to have fun. We're going to care about our customer. And the goal is to create that emotional moment, right? Because when you create that emotional moment, people feel compelled to do what you said obviously happens next. They feel compelled to share it, Right. For those who are are on social media, they're social. Like that's the, the kind of thing they're gonna like. Hey, this is a memorable, meaningful, meaningful moment. I want to capture this. I want to share it. And yes, I think you should be looking at what are the things we can do to interrupt people's patterns that really can show them, you know, who you are and also how you feel about them, right? And and ultimately you know, that you make them feel a way about themselves that, that compels them to share what's going on. And I I'm, can say this confidently, there's not a single soul that was at that event that did not know who we were, what we do, you know, <laughs> like what was going on. You know, there may have been some people who didn't have a positive impression. There's probably somebody out there who's like, that's weird. I don't, you know, I don't know, you know, not about that. But the vast majority, a very positive impression. Uh, and certainly they knew that Second Nature had a presence at that event. They knew 
uh, and we're asking questions about what we did, uh, finding out more about that. And and listen, it led to seven figure revenue results. You know that we can point to after that. I mean, there's a there's a tremendous impact there that I think it's like, man, if you just go, if you go that extra mile, you get way more than an extra mile in results, right? And a lot of people showing up and doing kind of what's what's in the flow, what's standard, everything else versus saying, how do we really make the most of this opportunity, really make it a lightning strike to use the language you used earlier? That's an effort worth making. And our team, we have a cultural mantra. And it's it's not what's the least we can do, what's the most we can do? That's the question we're asking ourselves all the time. Not what's the least we can do, what's the most we can do? And that's what inspires all those kind of ideas and creative things that happen. And listen, there's going to be more things we do this year that we've never done before because we just keep asking that question. What's the most we can do, not the least we can do? I would love to have just a conversation about like, what are you thinking about? Right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to derail this whole podcast on, on experiential marketing uh, out of the box ideas, but I do love your corp. What seemed, I, I think I love your corporate culture, right? Just from listening to you speak on a couple of different podcasts. I think you and I, when we first got on, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to introduce you to JWB. They got the best corporate culture, right? Like, you know, you know, I'm a corporate culture snob and I love this. What's not, what's not, what's the least you can do, but what's the most you can do. What other, what other things are you, is second nature really living by, right? Like what are, what are the guardrails that you guys really kind of like live by that drive these core values that, and, and, and how do you, how do you make them be a part of your organization so that people feel like they're all in, on one team? Yeah. So I think your your the first part of that question was about you know what are some of the values and that inform our culture at Second Nature and I want to give people I think a helpful framework that I got from I want to say Patrick Lincioni uh, and it was it was not a book actually it was an HBR article that I read on corporate values and he talks about three different buckets of corporate values all right and one bucket is table stakes. And things would go in this corporate bucket like honesty and integrity, right? It's like, well, to do business, you know, <laughs> we got, like you're, nobody's going to do business with you if you're not honest or you don't have integrity. Like as soon as they find that out, they're, they're going to be less motivated to work with you, right? Things like that. But maybe, maybe you need to define them explicitly. And, and that's one bucket. And I, those are much less interesting to me. What's more interesting to me is the second bucket which is what are your differentiating values? Meaning what's different about the people here? What's different about the way that work is done here, right? Than other places. What are the kinds of things that happen here that wouldn't happen anywhere else or wouldn't happen the way that they do here? And that I think is a really important thing to think about if you lead a company is, or you lead a department is thinking about what's the answer to that question? Because that's going to attract talent and, and repel other talent. That's not going to be a good fit for you. It's going to attract customers ultimately. <laughs> you know, it's, go it's going to, to have a lot of... Maybe a way to say it is, I've heard a quote like, for individuals, character is destiny. And for companies, culture is destiny. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that. And so... 
you know, what are the differentiating values? We talked about what's the most you can do versus what's the least you can do. And that kind of falls under, it's just a saying, under the value of radical generosity and radical thoughtfulness. And that's something we talk about. We have conversations about all the time. And how do we best express, you know, how do we become the most thoughtful people that others know? And that's, I think, a core promise of somebody who wants to come work at Second Nature is you're going to be around some really thoughtful freaking people, right? You're going to be around some really generous people. You're going to be transformed, you know, by the people that you're around because you're going to learn how to make moments for others. You're going to build legendary relationships with people, right? And so these are the kind of things we talk about and care about. And so it's part of the promise of what people can have. You know, we've got another one of, of having fun, uh, like play is a explicit corporate value. And it comes out in the purple suits. Like a lot of people are just afraid to be who they are and have fun. And listen, like, listen, we have customers that are multi-billion dollar customers, right? And a lot, I, I remember going to this conference, we were talking about it in Miami because of your connection there. I mean, listen, there, there's all kinds of Wall Street and institutional capital there getting in the single family rental space. And Sometimes I ask the question, I'm like, man, I've got all these like nice Zenia jackets and stuff like that. They're expensive. Like I, I like nice clothing. And uh, so it's something I, I've bought uh, over the years and, and like to wear. And I'm like, man, maybe I should wear my, my Zenia jacket and, you know, kind of like fit in with everybody else there. But I keep coming back to wearing the purple suit. And it's just because it's like, you know what? E- everyone here knows us and the excellent reputation for performance we have here. We've got that trust. And it's like, we really believe in having fun along the way. And so that that's an important part of what we do and how we do things. Uh, there's more we could talk about of specific core values, but to not leave people hanging on like, all right, there's the differentiating values. Mm-hmm. And then what's that third bucket, bucket? And that's aspirational values. And these are the kind of things it's like, man, we really want to be like this. This is who we want to become, but maybe we can't credibly say that we're there yet because of the stage of company we're at or you know, where we haven't put enough focus and time into it, et cetera. And so I think thinking in those three buckets of, you know, table stakes, uh, which are the least interesting to me, the differentiating bucket, which is really what are our strengths today? What's different about us and how do we continue to invest in and develop those into a really clear, cohesive identity that people share? And then finally, you know, aspirational. And it's okay to call those out too and and work towards those and pull them into that second bucket. So that's how we think about it. Oof, that was a golden nugget right there. I'm gonna have my team clip that and paste that across all my social media channels. So if you could just give this a pause right now, go into the show notes and connect with me on whatever platform you like to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever you want to be a part of my life in connect with me there. I'm going to share that clip and you can share it with your friends so that they get the same lesson. It'll be adding value to their life. And while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to the show. If you haven't already hit five star review, right? You don't have to leave a review. You just got to hit five stars. If you want to leave a review, cool. And maybe send the episode to your friend. That would be awesome. That's it. I'm done. Back to the show. I love it, man. I'd love to know. We kind of started our conversation when we first started talking about how JWB does this like Tuesday morning meeting and they do the core values call out. And I've, I've, I've totally ripped that off. And I do that in my company now because I think it's amazing as a, as a reinforcer of these things. How do you guys, how do you guys reinforce these core values? Like how do you keep it as part of the conversation? 
Man, this is great. So, Pablo, you know, I think about how many people put, like, how many companies put mission statements on their walls, you know, at core values in, in, on their walls and things like that. Well, guess what? Nobody's been in those freaking walls for 18 months, right? That's right. Uh, <laughs> so, it's a, good, it's a good question right now of how do you make those things visible? How do you keep it top of mind and your team engaged with the questions about who we are? right? And who we're becoming. There's no more important question for a company, in my opinion, because again, culture is destiny. And so, you know, something that we do, we don't spend 100% of our time talking about culture. We'd never get anything done, right? But every week we have uh, an all hands meeting. It's on Monday to kick it off. And something we started doing months ago was as opposed to the CEO or a VP or an executive saying, here's the core value and kind of dictating top down, you know, here's, here's what this is and why it's important and what it shouldn't mean to you. Instead, what we said is we leverage some zoom technology. We leverage zoom breakouts functionality and we get, you know, this, the entire team, we've got a couple hundred people in our organization. You know, you get the entire team into groups of four, five, six, and you give them a question. And let's say the core value of the week is relentlessly resourceful. That's one of our core values, right? Being relentlessly resourceful. And instead of just saying, here's what relentlessly resourceful means, here's what you all should know, you give them a question. And simultaneously, you've got 50 conversations going on between four people and one's from engineering, one's from sales, one's from client support, you know, right all over the map. And you ask them a question like, talk about a time where you saw relentlessly resourceful, right? Someone being relentlessly resourceful, a relentless resourcefulness at its best, like never been done. And that could be even inside the company. It could be outside of the company. And take a few minutes and share those stories as a small group, right? And man, there's some powerful stuff that comes out there. You get people back into the main room and you can kind of like filter up from there. Hey, what were some of the best stories that came out of your small groups? And that gets shared across the whole organization. And you've got everybody from, you know, the $15 an hour, you know, employee in a, in a client support or customer support role to executives of the company talking about this core value and great examples of, you know, where it shined brightly. You can ask another question like, you know, how might we this week boldly express the value of being relentlessly resourceful? What are opportunities you see in your work this week to be relentlessly resourceful? And you just give people some time and space to think about that, to talk through that, to share that. They hear other people's ideas of how they might go about that. And, you know, I, I don't know if everyone has the same experience I do, but for me, it's extremely energizing. And what a great way to kick off the week and be connected to what's important, connected to who we are and just create organizational momentum. And you rotate the core value every week, right? Till you cycle through them all. And it doesn't get old because uh, you meet new people, new questions, and we got enough core values where it's mixed up. There's enough variety for me, at least. So that's how we do it, Pablo. I love it, dude. That is definitely something that I am stealing. So add that, add that into the rotation apart from the core values call out, man. That was really, really good. 
Let's pivot now to something else that I talk about a lot. And we've kind of tiptoed around the language of it. We've, we've incorporated it. We talked about the godfather of it earlier, but it's category design, right? The, when, did, when did category design become something for you? Man, good question. Man. Well, Christopher Lockett is definitely the person who introduced me to the idea of category design. And it only took hearing him twice to decide I was going to consume pretty much every piece of content he would ever put out from that point forward. I know you're the same way. So <laughs> I, I've really enjoyed his Lockhead on marketing podcast in particular and, and would recommend that as a resource to everybody, his category pirates newsletter to anybody. And they're just phenomenal resources. And I would say it's the kind of thing I've been working on for years and feel like I still will be, you know, for years to come. It's it's hard work because it is a mental shift from, you know, a paradigm that most people operate in. And so, you know, the, the things I Can think that... Can you tell that me what clicked, that shift is? Can you tell me what that shift is? Absolutely. You know, expressed a couple different ways. So one would be that it's not about competing for demand. It's about creating demand and radical differentiation of your business. Like what I think about is the goal of any company is to become categorically different, right? And categorically as a nod to, uh, yes, there's category design happening here. And the point is that you're so different. Like people have to call it something else, right? Like what's going on here? It's not a... Exactly. Exactly. And so, and the language we use there was really intentional. Maybe I can talk about that, how we're applying it in a second. But, but to answer the question of, you know, what's different here, it's about most people get caught in a comparison game. And I've been in sales for over a decade. And anytime somebody comes to you in the sales process and they're saying, Hey, I need an RFP or, you know, <laughs> I'm doing uh, I'm at the end of my process here and, and we know you guys do this. Right. And so here's 20 questions we need you to answer and take a bunch of hours to put together and, and get an answer back to us on. Right. Well, if I didn't write that RFP, that's a complete waste of time. Like maybe you'll win a small percentage of those deals just because you outbid on price or something else that's really important to them. And, Frankly, whoever did start the conversation with them just didn't do a very good job, right? If that happens. Generally, it's a waste of time. You know, what you want is educating a customer to, hey, what is, the, how are we defining the problem that we're solving? What are the important requirements for purchase? Like, what are the rules for buying something like this to reach success? And importantly, you want to position your company in such a way like to me, category design is not just marketing. It's a whole company strategy because yes, it will inform how you talk about it and you talk about it in different language and different terms, but you're differentiating your company, your whole entire company in such a way that somebody else can't just say, yeah, well, okay, what they're doing over there, we can release a feature and we'll be caught up in 90 days, Right. If you look at what you're doing and say, what's keeping somebody from cop, somebody smart, somebody resourced, right? Somebody motivated, what's keeping that person from literally doing exactly what we're doing here in 60 to 90 days, right? And if the answer is, well, 
I don't have, (laughs) they really could if they wanted to, then that's, that's what I would encourage someone to think about. Like you need to do more category design, right? You need to really think about how you're creating a categorically different solution and positioning your company in a place where over an 18 to 24 month period to win the category in the minds of a customer that you're going to dominate, you're going to win, you're going to emerge number one. And so, you know, that that's what motivated us is we, listen, we want to win business. We're about other people. We're about having an impact for other people. And we're about absolutely getting the most out of our efforts in doing that. And I believe category design is, is the surest strategy to, to organizing your whole company, your marketing, everything around a strategy that's going to win. Totally agree, right? Like I, as as you're saying things, right? And I definitely want to ask you, kind of like when you operation when you operationalized it and and what you're doing about it. But I would love to, I would love to see if I can kind of tease some stuff out there, because what you said is is something that I think is a common mistake. It's the idea that category design is a marketing play, and it's not right. Like to me, category pirates has made it very obvious to me, something that I, I kind of inherently was already believing, which which hit me in the last chapter of Play Bigger, right? Like when I read the last chapter of Play Bigger, right? Like at first it was all really, really interesting and I was wholeheartedly in. And then the last chapter of Play Bigger, I'm like, holy shit, this is my career, right? Like the, the idea of how you personally category design is kind of something I've been doing my whole life, right? Like I've always had a different title that didn't really exist inside of a company after my first, you know, stint in corporate America. And then I started calling my own shots kind of thing. And I've always positioned myself as somebody that's solving a problem as opposed to somebody that's telling you what to do. And, 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 and I've, and I've found the benefits of all that on my personal life. So I bought in wholeheartedly, but it wasn't until category pirates when he talked about how you can category design at every different level of what your company does from you know, product, business model, marketing, you know, whatever, like all, all, all the different things that it really solidified the idea that it's, it's an operational philosophy, right? Like it's just a, it's a, it's a way to act, <laughs> you know, as a, as a, as a company period. And I would, and I see when you're talking about building this moat that somebody can't compete with in 16 months or, or, or two years or whatever, I think of you took this one problem that was having a filter on time and you turned it into subscription economy. Then you've also gone about expanding from really dominating that piece to, to kind of like going horizontally across other services that you can then provide to not just control one problem, but to control an entire experience. This is my dad, mm-hmm. by the way, just hanging out. I don't know if you can see him in the background. <laughs> and then I think that what you're really designing around that is the true moat, right? Because somebody operationally savvy can kind of get to those points, but nobody can compete with the culture that you're building. If you really do build out this culture and especially in an industry that is as segmented and is as mom and pop and is as fly by night as is property management, right? Like I, I see a lot of parallels to being a subcontractor in property management in the sense that not a lot of people grew up thinking that that's what they were going to do. All of a sudden they realized that they needed that done. Other people aren't doing it. Boom. All of a sudden you got a business, right? So Mm. I would love to, I would love to hear from you kind of like, what are your thoughts around 
how you have put that into operation and kind of what's the roadmap to your category design. Oh, and yeah. how I did there describing that, you know, give me a, give me, give me a, a report card there. <laughs> 10 out of 10 for me. No, that was great. So yeah, maybe telling the practical story about this as we work through it could help. And I, I think like a couple choices any company has to make and the executives in any company has to make is who is our customer? Right. And that was a place that we differentiated. And I'll kind of explain this a little bit of a lot of, so you mentioned the single family uh, rental industry for people who aren't familiar with the industry, about 75% of rental homes, single family homes. And, and let's include like duplexes, quadplexes, like small stuff like that. All right. Garden style apartments, not, not the 400 unit gray star community with the, you know, golf simulator and the three pools and uh, rooftop lounge. Okay. Different, different category of real estate there, right? So looking at the single family and small residential scattered site kind of properties, if you look at that market, about 75% of it is self-managed, right? Or like non-professionally managed, meaning I'm a real estate investor. I bought this house or it was a house I lived in and I'm upside down. And so I need to turn it into a rental or whatever, however they got there. And they're trying to find a tenant themselves. They're trying to coordinate maintenance themselves. They're collecting rent themselves and everything else. There's also, and we will see this happen. I don't know when this recording will go live, but depending on when somebody's listening to it, we've seen this happen before. It's going to happen again, which is real estate sales agents. Man, they're doing great right now, Pablo, right? I'm sure you see it in Florida. They're driving the Mercedes Benzes all around. I mean, listen, prices are great. Transaction volume is... There's not enough supply, so you know. But but everybody's uh, looking real good in a bull market, man. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, and what we see before is, man, when that changes, and suddenly they've got these Mercedes payments and everything else still to make, right? Suddenly, some sales agents decide I need to get in the property management business, right? And they start trying to figure out how do I manage property, and they start managing for four, five, six, seven, eight people, what have you. But they're they're not really dedicated and committed to doing it at the the professional level, right? There's not really a long-term interest there. So it's like 75% of the market's like that today. Whereas 25% is managed by a dedicated property management company. And yes, there's some there's definitely some stratification from one of those companies to another. You know, JWB, I mean, talk about excellence, you know, in 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 how they perform and how they do things. Great example. Truly a professional firm. And what we believe in is we're saying we want to focus on that group. And a lot of other companies would say, well, like, how do we get to everybody, right? And the massive size of this market and where do we start? And in our opinion, it was like, well, let's focus on the professional property manager, right? This 25% segment of the market, this niche. And let's focus on putting a freaking Grand Canyon between them and what the self-managers or the real estate agent on the side, the non-professionals are doing, Right. Because right now, there's too many people in that 75% who are saying, I can do this myself and I don't need to pay the 8, 10% management fee. That's cutting out of my return and I'll just do it myself, right? And they're seeing like, yeah, they'll do it a little bit better, but not enough. I'm just going to do it myself. Or I don't even know I can hire a professional, what have you. And what we want is not for there to be a few yards between those, those two groups. We want there to be a grand canyon of the kind of experiences 
in the kind of outcomes a professional manager can create. So that single family rental becomes a, the BHAG is a 100% professionally managed asset class, right? And you look at multifamily, it's the majority of it is professionally managed. That was not true 30 years ago, 40 years ago, right? 50 years ago. That at one point was zero. And now it's, you know, it's well over the majority. In single family, at one point it was zero. Right now it's 25%. And we believe in building a future, you know, in partnering with that segment of the industry to say, we're going to make, how do we create a resident experience so good that residents don't want to leave? How do we create an investor experience so good that they don't want to sell and get nervous when the market is hot and prices are hot, right? They're saying, I actually, I want to buy more, right? How do we create an experience so good for the teams that are working in property management that they say, I want to be in this business forever? Those are the questions that we think about the key stakeholders in that industry, what we call the triple win, that's the name of our podcast, and saying, you know, if we can put a grand candidate of differentiation between the professional and the self-manager, create experiences that are so good together, create outcomes that are so good, we're going to grow the entire category of professional property management. And that's the category of our customer, right? And so the very best resident experience is an important part of that. It's not the only thing, but that's the role that we play, you know, in that picture and in that story. So that's kind of what we're up to. And all that ties back to who are you picking as your customer that you serve and saying no to everything else, right? I cannot tell you how many opportunities we've been approached with of, do you want to go do this? I'm like, well, that's counter to our thesis, which is that would shrink the gap. That would make it harder for the professional to succeed, right? If we invested all of our time equipping this self-manager, so to speak, right? And so that some companies are doing that. That's their strategy. It's not ours. You know, we've chosen our customers. So that, that's part of it. You know, the other thing I think is important is thinking about the problems that you solve and where you start. Our beachhead was filter delivery. Our company name, Pablo, if you went back years, it was actually filter easy before we became second nature. And much like Amazon, right, was like the king of books before they became the category king of everything. You know, they started with books. And for us, you know, filters, air filters, it may not, it's definitely not a sexy product on its face, probably to most people looking at this. And I can tell you, it's even less sexy when you get into it because there's tens of thousands of different SKUs, right? Different sizes, I should say, hundred, over a hundred thousand different SKUs. It's a very intensive logistic business. You're shipping like basically a piece of art, right? Which has its own challenges. And Without going into all the dirty details, the point is it's not a very attractive business to probably most people on the outside looking in. However, it was a core problem for our customer, the professional property manager. And getting a resident to change an air filter on time, when you're in a 400-unit apartment building, you just get the maintenance guy to go around, right? And he does it. Very easy problem to solve. And in that case, you're looking for what's the cheapest way to buy an air filter so that my maintenance guy can go around and change them all right? What's different about our focus was we said this scattered property, well, one of them's in Duval County, right? One, one of them's way over here, right? One of them's in St. Augustine. One of them's in Atlanta, Georgia. One of them's in Charleston, South Carolina. They're all over the place, right? And so can you get a maintenance guy to go from Charleston to Atlanta to St. Augustine? To No, not in a cost-efficient way. 
And, you know, the resident, when the filters are in the closet, out of sight, out of mind, are they going to go to the store? Remember to do that every 60, 90 days. They're like, we already know the answer to that question. It doesn't happen. So we said, wow, there's actually a big opportunity here to change the outcome from nobody changes their filters. Like maybe five, 10% of residents change their filters exactly the way you'd want them to, to best take care of the home as an investment and as a place to live to, we can get over 90% of people to do that. If we put a big purple box on their doorstep with exactly what they need, with expiration dates stamped on it, everything else, all the little things that go into the product to drive compliance. And so that's what we built our reputation around was we radically shift compliance. We radically shift the outcome around HVAC, the number one maintenance line item in property management. Anyway, this is probably getting boring for people who aren't in real estate or property management, but we said, hey, there's a very different way to solve this problem. And it is going to be hard for somebody to come into this kind of business. We developed a relationship with our customers and our customers started asking us, it is so great to work with you on this problem. And you've brought some real innovation here in the way that you do things and really change the outcomes here. How could you help us with like getting utilities set up? Right. How could you help us with getting our residents to stick around longer with like a rewards or a loyalty program? How could you help us with, you know, the, and we just listen to our super consumers as we'd like to call them, right. Our VIP customers about what was important to them, what kind of problems we could solve in a differentiated way for them. And then listen, we're off to the races. It's going great. So, and, and it's a fun business to be in now. It's very exciting. I love how that ties back to moment making, man. Like you created a moment out of the delivery of an air filter. And that's how you got adoption. And then that's how you also get attention. And I, I, I love how I love how aligned you are, man. <laughs> you know, like on a on, on a personal level to 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 a company to you know, the way that you, the, the, the way that you approach your strategy, man, I think it's, I think it's really, really interesting. And I could, I could have you on for a whole nother, a whole nother podcast to talk about your, your beach ball analogy and the, the, how you approach <laughs> the world. And, you know, like, like I said, I have, a, I have very much of a, a very much a man crush on people that, that have a deliberate way that they go about showing up and communicating and, and treating people, man. And it's clear you're one of those guys. It's clear that Second Nature is one of those companies. And I've really, really enjoyed getting to pick your brain about this, man. One thing that I really took away is that in my in my category design, right? Like my biggest my biggest problem is that I think that my my go-to-market strategy of this internet talk show and repurpose content and making moments online that then multiply, I think everybody should be using it. And I'm having a really hard time, you know, picking my picking my ideal client. But you made it very clear to me that that needs to inherently happen, and I need to drive a Grand Canyon in between the type of person that would want to do what I'm what I'm proposing and the people that don't get it. And I've been kind of toying with that idea, and you really just opened up my mind to kind of like where I want to go with next, man. So thanks for that. I really appreciate it, and, th- and thanks for coming on, man. This was awesome. Well, Pablo, if I can say this, I I feel it's really important what you're doing and what you're talking about. And it's absolutely in line with what we believe is important today and just where the world is going of how modern business development should be done. Okay. If I go back to my first sales job, 
and what it was like to be in sales, you know, in 2007. I'm not counting like, boy, you know, Boy Scout popcorn and <laughs> stuff before that. All right. If I go back to the first sales job, I mean, it was phone call, phone call, phone call, right? Cold call, cold call, cold call. Like, Email wasn't, I didn't even, I don't think I had an email. It was like a Hotmail account or something at that point. Who knows? And what you, what, what we saw was we lived in a world where a salesperson was who you had to talk to, to get information, to do research. And the shift we see today is people want to talk to each other, right? Their peers in the industry about what's going on, about who they use, about how they're solving problems, et cetera, right? And that's where they want to do their research and learn. We had a we had a guest speaker for our sales team, and he's worked at Salesforce, he's worked at Box, he's worked at, you know, senior enterprise sales leader. He's like, yeah, sometimes I talk to customers now who know more about the product than I do. And this is a sharp guy. I'm sure he knows his product you know, backwards, forwards, left and right. But he's like, yeah, they're so informed, you know, when they come to me. And what it keeps, I think we're just going to see, there's a school of thought out there that says, okay, well, you just need the monster dialer that's going to call 40 people at one time, right? To make up for the fact that half the people that were picking up their phone 10 years ago are just not picking up their phone today from a number that they don't recognize. Now, freaking Apple, right? says spam every time, right? Like it's, it's flagging people. There's entire email products like Hey.com and, and like they're all built around, Hey, how do we get rid of all this noise and, and salespeople tapping you on the shoulder, asking you if you want to buy something today before, before you're ready. And so we need more companies that are getting really serious about a community building strategy and a strategy that educates customers and prospects and transforms people into the kind of people that they want to be and is really adding value there in material ways so that whenever they are ready, you know, to get into a buying cycle, there you are. Sales isn't going anywhere. We need great salespeople. I want to make that clear. But how sales is done and what has to be done before sales happens and what kind of resources companies should be putting in play man, there's few advantages I can think of better than saying we run the Facebook group, the Slack group, the Discord group. You know, I can't say anything about the platforms and and what's right for your customer, whoever you are. What I can say is if you're getting your customers and prospects talking to each other, you're helping to strategically convene those people, right? In a community, and through events and other efforts, things that you teach, Pablo, and you help people with directly, I know. Um, holy cow, what an advantage when you've done that for a few years and you say, this is the customer I've fallen in love with. I've built something for them, right? Here it is. Here we are. Here it is for you. This is for you. This is a special place. This is where the conversation is happening. And you give people that shared purpose. I mean, holy cow, a few strategic advantages for a company more important than that. So I'd love to just give you a voice of encouragement for what you're doing uh, to keep it up. To anybody who's listening to this, like you're you're listening to the right guy about the right kind of things. Uh, you're in the right place. It can be tough. It can be discouraging. It can feel slow at times, but keep at it because this is important.
appreciate you, man. That's uh, that means a lot to me to hear from you, man. And I and I know that that is a, I know that you're doing that out of the bottom of your heart. And you also know that you're providing me a great asset of a great sound bite that really great, gives me some great validation, man. So you're a smart dude. I really, really appreciate that. And I think it's really cool that, you know, to, to highlight kind of what we were talking about earlier, it's even if you're not building your own, you can always, you know, I'm not going to call it hijack somebody else's, but like you can always provide value in someone else's community to the point that you have your own community within a community, right? Like, which you guys have clearly done. And I haven't, you know, we didn't even get into, you know, whatever, whatever outright community you own there, but it, it's, it's pretty obvious that within the industry and within the associations, you've provided enough value for the subsect of your client. That is your ideal client. You've identified it so well, and you've completely fallen in love with them and gone to listen to them and understand them so well that, you know, it's working well for you, man. So I love seeing it from, from every side of the coin and seeing you guys operate on it. Andrew, what's the best? Somebody just listened to you for an hour and thinks you're the coolest ever. What's the best move, right? What's what's the best place to then reach out to you? Do you want to be reached out to on LinkedIn? Do you want an email? You know, give this is this is your moment to kind of promote yourself or or whomever you'd like to promote. Yeah, if someone spent an hour and thinks I'm the coolest guy, my first recommendation is is go meet some other people. There's some amazing people out there. <laughs> but but listen, I if even just one thing we shared today was resonant for somebody and helped somebody along, it's totally. This was a really enjoyable experience for me even before that, and would, would glad to hear that. You could let me know that on LinkedIn. You could find me Andrew Smallwood on LinkedIn. I'm sure you'll put in the show notes links to Front Row Foundation's websites. I can nature's website. So people can get connected. It's not hard to find people these days. So listen, you know, any way you want to find me or connect with me, feel free to do it and look forward to connecting. Thanks, man. Really appreciate you. Appreciate you spending this time. You bet, Pablo. Cool. All right. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and you got a bunch of value out of it. And if you did, it would mean the world to me if you reached out to our guest and let them know what you learned, what you thought about it. Everything that you need to connect with them is going to be in the show notes. And on top of that, why don't you double up and reach out to me? I'd love to hear from you. It really is why I do this is so that I can meet awesome people. I would love to hear from anybody that you think should be on this podcast, including yourself, about how you build world-class relationships, how you create community, how you lead companies in this relationships over transactions methodology. And if you believe in that stuff, that is what we're doing at my company, Be The Stage. You can check it out at bethestage.live. But the Cliff Notes version is, we've learned that most companies know that they need to be making content and they know that they really want to drive a community. But where do you start with that stuff? The best way to start doing that is to create an internet talk show because it allows you to create a strategic relationship with a guest one-to-one while you create strategic relationships with the audience one-to-few. And then when we repurpose the show for you and spread it out all over social media, you're creating relationships one-to-many. It is the ultimate relationship-driven growth engine to feed your entire pipeline marketing team and customer success. What companies call their go-to-market strategy can now be driven by community. If you're interested in that, go to bethestage.live, check it out, reach out to me. I would love to create an internet talk show just for you.
Now, if you'll indulge me, I'm going to take a play out of the book of one of my heroes, Christopher Lockhead, the godfather of category design, co-author of my favorite business book, Play Bigger, and my favorite newsletter, Category Pirates, which I'm going to link in the show notes because I think you should subscribe. It's the smartest thing basically in the world. Anyways, at the end of his podcast, which is Follow Your Different, he always shouts out and gives a roll call to people that he thanks. And I want to do that too. I want to thank my team at Be The Stage. I want to thank JP, who is the editor of this content, the guy that makes all the cool micro content and makes everything look cool. Joanna, who distributes a lot of the stuff. She writes a lot of the descriptions. Nicola, who is... Uh, my buddy that I've been mentoring for a couple of years out of Bulgaria, a really bright 15-year-old kid that writes a lot of the captions on social media. Marge, who is always keeping track of everything. She is the executive assistant of the dreams that all come true. Gina, who is a world-class integrator. She is our COO. She is the one that is just making all the processes happen. Whenever I say something, she designs a way to make it happen. It's incredible. My business partner, Isar, who without him, none of this stuff could be possible. That guy is the best. He's got an awesome podcast. It's called the Business Growth Accelerator. You should totally check that out. I want to thank my parents. They're my inspiration. They're the best. My family. I love them to pieces. My wife, Marta, who is my muse and my inspiration for everything. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, go do it now. But before you do that, if you haven't checked out either episode seven or episode 69, those are my 2019 and 2020 last call tracks where I give this like rapping, talking, motivational speech over like a really cool beat. It's actually the beat that I have on this podcast right now that I had custom produced by my guy, Michael, out of Russia, who's a sick beat producer. Check that stuff out. That is the origin story of my business, the origin story of what I'm up to, and it's really what I am most proud of. Episode 7, episode 69 of this podcast. Hope to see you on the next one. Hit me up on social media. I love you. Don't forget, relationships over transactions, that is the way that you win. It's a long game. Human beings are happiest when they're in service, so serve others and you will be able to open any door that you ever wanted. Never forget that. If you don't know how to serve others, everybody needs an extra cheerleader, cheer for people, be invested in their future, see what you can do for them. It all comes back in the long run. I really hope you reach out to me. I want to meet you. I want to talk to you. I want to help you achieve your dreams. Have an awesome, awesome, awesome rest of your day.